Well, guys, I'm excited. Uh, one of my favorite aspects of Jesus' teaching are parables. Uh, I've told you before, I'm very story-oriented, and I love that Jesus just blows everyone's mind by telling a story. I try with my kids. They say something. I try to be like, when a kid walks into the room, you know, and it just goes nowhere. They don't care at all. Um, so real quick, let's get into it. But I, before we do it, I want us to just get into the mindset again of Mark. Okay, we, I don't know about you guys, but maybe you haven't been steeped in Mark theology and his context and where he's been at all week long. So just like get in your mindset with it. So remember, Israel is this nation. This is in Jesus' time that Mark is telling us. Israel is this nation that is kind of governed over, uh, ruled over by Rome. Okay, so Rome is kind of ruling over uh, Israel, and the Romans are okay with them practicing their religion as long as they pay taxes. The Romans can benefit from having this god now as part of their godhood, their mini-gods that they kind of fall under. Um, and they even appoint this Jewish governor that's in the Roman uh, pocket uh, over the Israel people. So they can make sure what is happening, they can approve of it, that kind of thing. Okay, getting that mindset of it. If you're Jesus and you show up on the scene, and you're trying to capture people's hearts and remind them of their true allegiance to God, not to Rome, right, or frankly any other idols, but you know you'd be taken out if you started a rebellion, how would you do it? Okay, would you kind of start holding like secret underground meetings, maybe like paint like a, like a fish symbol on, you know, you see it and you're like, oh, it must be down here or something. Or, or would you hide stuff in boxes around and just casually encourage everyone to start geocaching? Like, how would you start building this rebellion? Maybe you'd write, you'd be a musician and start writing music. And if you play it backwards, it's about stairs to somewhere like who knows, right? So Jesus, in his brilliance, what he does is he tells story. Okay, he just tells stories. People ask for a straightforward answer to a question, and he tells them a story. And one of the things for Jesus is he, he tells parables because he doesn't necessarily want to make it clear. He wants to instead engage the mind, the heart, kind of evoke emotion and imagination to get people, not just intellectually, but their whole being to a certain point. And he states, if you remember in Mark chapter 1, he states the point that he wants the people to get to. This is 1 chapter, or verse 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, that's his like thesis statement. That is why he is here. It is time. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the other thing I think that's important before we get into parables is we kind of need to um, differentiate between two different schools of thought. Okay, we said this before here at Hub City, but this is a refresher. There's Western thinking and Eastern thinking. Okay, so Western thinking, a lot of us would be in this, right? Uh, we love de definition. We love information. Okay, we love things that are, that are definable. One of the examples is to describe the love of God. Okay, as a Western thinker, love of God is things like eternal, strong, faithful. See, all these words, they mean something. They have this connotation with it. Now, an Eastern thinker, is it's more narrative. It's potentially more emotive. It's more of like a scene than a defined thing. So for the example of described love of God, it'd be like a strong high tower. 
It'd be like rising, the rising and setting of the sun and the moon. It'd be like rising up on wings of an eagle. See how it's just different. It kind of, it brings to mind scenes and imagery and colors and this kind of stuff, right? So remember Jesus, he's an Eastern rabbi. He's literally an Eastern teacher. His teachings are not just intellectual. It's not just for information that his disciples will store up and then use at some later designated point. It's holistic. It's everything, right? If it's understood, it involves and affects everything about a person, okay? Last thing I want to say. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, I'm no Hebrew scholar, so I'm going to mess up this word. There's one word, mashal. Probably could say it better. There's probably more guttural stuff, more spitting. I don't know. But mashal, okay? This word typically means comparison or parable. But what's interesting is it's often also translated proverb. Okay? So in Greek and Latin and what the language kind of turned into, there are two different words for those types of things. But in the Hebrew understanding, there's one word for parable and proverb. Again, the Eastern thinking, you don't tell a good story without a hidden truth in it. And you don't tell a truth without a good story behind it. Okay? So for a lot of Jesus' teaching, the proverb is a summary truth of his parable, and a parable is the narrative for the proverb's truth. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Jesus has these nuggets of pure truth as he tells these stories, and today we're going to look at what he's trying to tell us with this. So let's get into it. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Okay, so again, we looked at this last chapter. I think chapter 3 literally starts off with a large crowd getting around him. He, he gets into a boat, not only as we learned from last chapter, lest he be crushed by the crowd, which is crazy, but also it's kind of brilliant. There's, it's a natural amphitheater. You get out on the water, you speak, and it just kind of projects your voice everywhere onto the shore, which is pretty brilliant, right? Um, verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Okay, you know it's going to be a good story. People are excited. They're like, oh, here we go. We're getting into something, right? Now, Jesus knows his audience, right? A very large crowd in that area would have meant there was a high percentage of farmers, or at least people who would know all about farming and farming language. So the people aren't lost at this point. They're like, oh, okay, cool. We understand this. We get all the visuals for it, right? But before we read on, there's some context missing. Now, for me, in my backyard... I had uh, this like, tree and this little fish pond in my backyard. We wanted to take it out and make it grass. So I had to take out the tree, which is a huge pain, and I had to take out the fish pond. There are big holes in the ground. So what do you do? You put new soil, new dirt into the ground, right? And then you can try and level it out. And I had this big metal rake, and I was tilling it up. And my wife kept being like, why don't you rent a tiller? And I'm like, oh, I can do it. You know? And I'm just sweating profusely. And I'm tearing up the ground, making it level. And it wasn't until that point that then it's ready to seed, right? So then I went out uh, with the Dr. Scott seed thing, that's really cool, and I just started going around and spreading it everywhere, okay? So it wasn't until that point that I was ready to seed. However, so to me, that's the context that's missing. It's like the sower went out to seed, okay, he must have already tilled the ground, okay? That's my thinking. However, a more commonly practiced Eastern farming uh, tradition in their time was that they would sow the seed everywhere and then they would till the ground and then see what would grow, 
Isn't that fascinating? Almost like this spiritual thing, kind of like, we'll see what happens, you know, and like the good soil is the good soil, and the bad is the bad, you know, that kind of thing. So it's kind of a cool practice. They just sow it everywhere, and then they till the ground. So this brings a deeper emphasis on the end crop rather than the beginning soil, okay? So Jesus, that's their context, okay? They're thinking that. They're thinking it's not weird for him to just sow everywhere. He, Jesus goes on. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And then, staring at the crowd, probably they were a little bewildered, looking for like, okay, so what's what's miracle? What's the mind-blowing thing or whatever? And he says, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's all he says. Like in modern times, it'd be like, if you know, you know, right? I mean, it just is like this hashtag, I-Y-K-Y, whatever you say, right? The great thing about the scripture is that we get the inside scoop. That's what's crazy. The people at the time, they were like, wait, what does this mean? I don't get it. We get the word. We get to be included. Whether you follow Jesus or not, we get to be included in what Jesus then turns and tells his disciples. So literally, we don't have to sit here and wonder, like, what are the soils? What do they mean, right? I'm not going to explain that to you because Jesus does. He literally turns to his disciples. He's alone again with the 12 and some other close disciples, and he tells them that they've been given this insight. Verse 11, he says, hey, to you guys, though, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And that to everyone else, this just sounds like parables. It just sounds like crazy stories. Like, what is he trying to say? Verse 13, he says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus says, I've given you the secret. This will help you understand not just today, but all the parables. The question then becomes, what's the secret? What is that secret to the kingdom of God? Well, let's look and see if we can see anything in there. So verse 14, the sower, this is his explanation, the sower sows the word. Okay, right off the bat, he gives us the constant. Okay, the sower sows the word. This does not change. Okay, it doesn't just radically change in some way. The sower always sows the word. But the variable in this equation are the different types of soil. See, real quick, in rabbinical teaching, the examples of four is very common. And it's used as this teaching rhetoric, okay? If something is going to be compared to itself, it's almost always compared in a list of four, with the fourth being an obvious answer. Okay, typically for us, it's like, well, I want like four equal opportunities, and you kind of just pick like, which one do you want to? I kind of want to be thorns, I kind of want to be rock. No, it's like, there's an obvious answer to this. Let me tell you another example of a teaching similar to this. It's very common in rabbi teaching. So there's four types of learners. There's the sponge, there's the funnel, there's the strainer, there's the sieve or sieve. Okay, it feels like we're doing a cooking class here, Okay. Um, so let's walk through this real quick. The sponge, these are types of learners. The sponge, they would say you take in everything. You just learn everything you can. You soak it all up. It's so good. The problem is the good and the bad of what you learn mixed together. There's no differentiating between like, I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. So you just know everything you can. The funnel, you take it all in and then you lose it all, right? It's great for a bit and then you lose it all. The strainer, you take it all in, but you keep only the bad. 
Now, I just strained for some spaghetti the other day, and I'm like, well, that's wrong, because I kept the noodles and the meat, but I lost all the other stuff. Think of like wine, okay? When you strain wine, not good. I'm <laughs> not smart either, okay? You might, and then that time, you might be left with just like the little bit of stuff that's left in there. It's not good, okay? But the sieve or the sieve, okay? Just think of like sifting wheat, okay? Flour, taking the chaff and it going away, and you're keeping the beautiful stuff. You take it all in, but it keeps only the good, okay? So like the answer is almost always the end choice. It's actually more of a proverb than like a story problem, okay? It's not four equal parts. It's like, okay, how can I be number four? How can I get there, okay? So this is, Jesus is just following a classic rabbi rhetoric here, and he goes on to explain, verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word what is, that is sown to them. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately received it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So as you're left with him explaining this, what is the, what, what's burning in the heart of just saying, like, which soil am I? Which soil should I be? The question should be, it's obvious, right? Like, you want to be the good soil. That's what you want to be. Like, that is just, as he's teaching, he's like, there's an obvious answer to this. However, I do think it's a good question. And I'll say this. I would encourage everyone in here, I want to do this. Like, go home today and just think about it. Where are you at in that? Where did you identify with those soils, right? Where on that list where you're like, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm more like this or whatever. If you want to get really into it, take a spouse or someone that knows you really well out to lunch and ask them, what do you think I am? Of the four, who do you think I am? And then make them pay for lunch after they tell you that you're like the thorns or something, right? I think it's a great question. However, I'm just not convinced that that is why Jesus told this story. If we walk away today and it's like, well, just be better soil. Just be the good soil and walk away, be blessed, okay? I'm just not convinced, and I'm going to argue why. That's not what Jesus is trying to get at today. It's totally a legit walk away, and we should all do that. But Jesus says, I gave you the secret of the kingdom of God before he explained this parable. So the secret, it just can't be, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, go be better soil. Like, it just can't be. That doesn't line up with any other teachings from Jesus. But this is what I think is key. He snuck in an Old Testament reference when Randall was reading it. And I think this gets to the heart. When the disciples ask him why he teaches in parables, he says, for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah 6, saying, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So it would stand to reason that if they did perceive, that if they did understand, what would happen? They would turn and be forgiven, right? So, or else they would turn and be forgiven. If they truly got it, they truly believed and accepted the word, they would repent, they would turn. That's literally what that word means. They would repent and be forgiven. Is that the key? 
Is that the secret to the kingdom of heaven? Repentance. If they got it, if they perceived, if they understood it, they would repent. They would turn from their self and they would believe and be forgiven. Think about it. If it feels like nothing is sticking, like God's word is just falling on deaf ears, repent and be forgiven. You think you're, you're on the rocky soil. You've seen too much. Too much has happened to you that keeps you at arm length from God. Maybe it's time to put the arms down. Repent and be forgiven. Right? It feels like thorns are choking you out. Other things in life are grabbing your attention and your heart. Repent and be forgiven. Right? The cool thing about this is that God has already done the groundwork for this for his people. Every human being has the ability and chance to repent and be forgiven. Right? Israel, on a macro level, is being kind of sowed, uh, so to speak, sowed again in her new land by God after long, long years of exile. There's this hint of restoration of Eden happening. He's using growing language, right? Now, I appreciate the writings of uh, N.T. Wright. I don't know if you guys have heard of N.T. Wright before, but he's been influential in my uh, mind and just my theology. And if you want to read his books, he's great. But he writes these books that are um, kind of like Paul for everyone, John for everyone, and there's book Mark for everyone. And uh, in the book Mark for everyone, this is a quote from him. It says, The problem, and this seems to be the main reason Jesus taught in parables, is that Jesus' vision of how God was sowing his word was, as we would say today, politically incorrect. People were expecting a great moment of renewal. They believed that Israel would be rescued lock, stock, and barrel. God's kingdom would explode onto the world stage in a blaze of glory. No, declares Jesus. It's more like a farmer sowing seed, much of which apparently goes to waste because the soil isn't fit for it and can't sustain it. It's harsh, right? The problem is there's too many types of soils. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, are you not the people of God? Like, how has the soil become like this, not able to bear fruit? Here, come to me, repent, and be forgiven. Be healed back to the good soil. We all need to be aware of our own repentance, no matter what soil we feel like we are. But here's the flip side of that. Remember, in this parable, in their context, the tilling of the soil happens upon receiving the word. Okay, not prior, but upon receiving the word. Many people, have you, have you noticed this, have radically encountered God, and their lives have changed to like a whole different person, right? As most of us know someone like that. Maybe you were that person, okay? The friend who's just full of anger. They have such a hard upbringing, and, and, it's, and it's rightly so. They're justified to be angry. However, they're full of anger. They come to know Jesus. They're just joyful, you can't explain it. It's mind-boggling of like, are you really the same person, right? That coworker that's just plagued by worry and anxiety over and over and over all of a sudden just has hope, has encouragement, right? They've experienced Jesus. Only God can grow beautiful things out of hard places because the sower, he doesn't sow seeds everywhere by mistake. He doesn't sow seed in the hard places by mistake, Right? It might go to waste if not willing to be tilled, but by the sower's grace, he's the one that can bring beauty out of hard places. I mean, you've heard the classic saying, right? Next to godliness is photosynthesis. You've heard that, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> scriptural, right? I think. 
And this secret of forgiveness and repentance, it should not be hidden to those who want it, right? This is a direct slight to the religious leaders of the day. Some of the more important religious leaders, they're like, it's, it's more of a status thing. I got to keep the secrets to the kingdom to myself, right? It's, it's where I'm at, right? And it's not something to be shared freely because as we all know, syndrome from the incredible says, when everyone's super, no one will be, right? So they're like, no, I want to be super. I'm, I'm the one. I have the secrets to the kingdom of God. You're the lowly and despised. Look at me. Look how great I'm doing, okay? Remember in chapter 3, we looked at this last week, when Jesus was with the religious leaders in the temple, when the man with the withered hand comes in and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, and the leaders were angry at him for violating the Sabbath. Not happy that this guy got his hand back, his life back, but angry with him, he violated the Sabbath. Verse 5 of chapter 3, And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Technically, they were upholding the law, but they missed everything about God's heart for the law. Right? The seed is being sown here. The soil should be ready to receive it. If the temple leaders of the day are not the good soil that we're talking about, then who is? Like, how long has God been telling his leaders, like, stay faithful, lead the people in faithfulness. I'm going to rescue you. That's like page three of our Bible, right? And the ones here poised to be the most fertile soil, helping others hear and receive the good news, are the ones keeping all the seed for themselves, and here's the irony, not bearing any fruit, okay? The good news, by definition, by news, is meant to be shared. It should be a beacon of hope, this light in the darkness. Jesus goes on with this analogy of light in the darkness, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? The answer, of course, is like, no. Who would do that? Here's Matt's brilliant word of the day. Light's purpose is to bring light. Write that down. Like, that's, like, that's you know, that light's purpose is to bring light, Okay. Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Even if something is hidden, even if something is a secret, its purpose then is to be revealed. And Jesus, is he not revealing it now? Right? Not only is it beautiful news, the light has come and shines in the darkness, it's also terrifying. Have you guys ever taken a flashlight and gone into like the dark like unseen corner of your tool shed in a while like what's back there it's terrifying you know right light also exposes what's been left to fester right it's beautiful and terrifying verse 24 and he said to them pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you for to the one who has more will be given from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away measure here that word it's meant to it's related to attitude okay it's related to your attitude for it it's back to the status of the soil good soil will flourish and the other thing about flourishing fruit bearing crop is that it often benefits the other plants around it right and then in doing so it reaps mutual benefit from the expansion of good soil and good crop so what does it take to get back to the good soil to re-till that soil repentance Right? For the one who repents, forgiveness will be given. The one who has not, even what he has, the seeds that he has will be taken away. This is Jesus revealing himself a bit. Right? This is him. Because listen, we, we want to stay in the Gospel of Mark and stay in his context, what he has for us. 
but it's but we also believe that the scripture uh, like it obviously relates and translates itself okay so it'd be silly for us not to go to john real fast and just think about what in john in like the first verse was made flesh the word right and that's jesus and here the sower sows what the seed which is the word right so jesus is the seed jesus is the seed how is he being received how is jesus the seed of god being received by his people with a measure you allow jesus to bury deep into your being and radically change you till you to keep with this analogy from the inside out that's the measure with which you'll be given to you and even more so Jesus is not here to hold back. Like Jesus is here to give you all of himself and to see his people bear fruit. There's this idea that even in this time, in the context of Mark, and even today, the kingdom of God is something that will happen. And the people are just waiting and frankly bored, stuck on her, here on earth. But as Jesus is doing here with his disciples, he's teaching the people deep truths, mostly in story form, and then giving them insightful insights to his followers, kind of pulling back the veil, right? He says, like, it is but veiled now when in the future it will be fully revealed. But right now he kind of pulls back that veil for his disciples and anyone who has the scriptures and able to read it. He's giving them insights that others can't see because they've, they've heard, because the disciples have heard, they've repented, and they're forgiven. Therefore, they're given these insights even if they are but a glimpse. And honestly, that's enough. Like, he could stop there, but he keeps on going. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And the disciples are like, oh no, he's teaching in circles. Like, Jesus, you've already taught this. Reel in the boat. The sun's getting to him. Let's get him some water, okay? But he goes on. He says, no, he, he sleeps, and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Oh, this is different. Okay, so just in case people, and for even for us today, we walk away still thinking, I just need to do better. I just need to be the better good soil so that I can bear fruit. He's also saying, listen, even if you walk away with that, you have no control over that. The fruit bearing is evident because of the quality of the soil right you you can't a tree a good tree can't fake bad fruit right i i don't know how many times i walked over and i've seen a juicy apple and i've picked it and you bite into it and it's terrible does that happen to you guys you're just like oh it's disgusting right this tree like it's it's evident they're like oh this tree maybe isn't as healthy right it looked like it was good but it's not bearing this as much right it's not good and it's gradual that's the thing it's not just like lightning the common idea of the day was the kingdom of God will show up and change everything all at once. Immediate relief, immediate salvation, immediate change. But Jesus tells a different story. It's not like a lightning strike. It's like a farmer sowing seed. It's inception. It takes time. It takes effort. First, a small blade will appear. Then the ear. Then the full grain. And then there will be this great harvest at a certain point, which they are expecting, but it will be down the line. Right? The payoff is actually the most important thing and will be the most evidence of what soil was there. He finishes off with one more farming analogy, verse 30. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. 
Like, it seems like he's doubling down on what was not expected. If he was like, the kingdom of God, it's like an already made ham sandwich, ready to consume. Like, the people are pumped, right? Like, let's go. What's ham? I don't know, you know? Um, Then it makes sense immediately. Instead, it's like the smallest of all the seeds. Okay, like, what effectiveness would that have? Verse 32, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. I like that Jesus, he's revealing that God is not focusing on the big or flashy but he's focusing on the small and seemingly insignificant. That with his spirit, with his love and his forgiveness, he can make the smallest of things great. And as he blesses the plant, the plant becomes a blessing. Next verse. And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, Jesus, he knows his audience and also knows many of the teachings of the prophets. Okay, If you look through Mark, you look at all the cross-references, a lot of the time he points the people back to Isaiah. Points people back to Isaiah. However, a lot of times when he's talking about the way that Israel should be versus the way that Israel is, specifically with the religious leaders, he a lot of times references Ezekiel. Okay, So here, in this next thing I'm going to say, he sees that there are these kind of like, in terms of plants, these highest trees that are producing no fruit, aka religious leaders, and then there are these lowest trees, the outcast, the needy, the orphan, the widow, the blind, the lame, etc., that are the most fertile. They want it, but they have no opportunity for growth. Let me read this for you. Ezekiel 17. Go back today and just read all of Ezekiel 17, but this is the end of it. Thus says the Lord God in this idea of high and low, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord." I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Now, as we've seen, we're only in chapter 4 of Mark. What has Jesus been doing so far? He recruited lowly fishermen to be his disciples. He's healed the sick. He's healed the broken, the despised, the outcast. Right between those who think they've got it all figured out and those who are at the end of their rope, who would you consider to be the most fertile soil? Right, The ones who are following Jesus are the ones who desperately need him. Like You don't cry out for something you don't need. Jesus is the seed and the lowly ones are the ones willing to receive and bear fruit. Now think about it. For you and I today, are we desperate for Jesus? Is it more like a nice stamp of approval in your life that we walk around with this kind of fire insurance idea, identifying with Christian, but not following Christ, not bearing fruit? Or do we need to repent? Do we need to retill our, our hearts, right? Be retilled at a heart level. And all these analogies, listen, it's God who does the work. He's the sower. The seed is his word, Only he can make it grow into true life-giving fruit. He will bring down the high and lofty, and he will lift up the lowly. 
The power of the word is constant, but the effectiveness of the word seems to depend on the quality of the soil. If you're struggling today to see fruit in your life, it would seem this passage suggests that maybe it's less about your circumstances, less about you know, how good your church is teaching you or whatever, um, not influencing you enough, or God being too distant in your life. Maybe the question turns from which soil you are to have you repented? Have you turned from your ways? Have you denied yourself, picked up your cross, and followed Jesus? Because if you do, there is forgiveness, right? For those who see it, for those who understand it, they would turn and they would be forgiven. You don't have to worry about this. The fruit surrendering to the great sower means that he will sow the seed. He will till the soil. He will do the growth. The fruit will be evident. It'll take care of itself. Our job is to repent, right? Our job is to show up and be willing to be changed for his glory, not our own, right? And in that repentance, what does he say about the good soil? The good soil hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit. It's that simple. Hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Remember, the focus here is that bearing fruit at the end is the evidence, not the soil at the beginning of the sowing. Now listen, I get it. Repentance is a hard thing to do, right? There's so many reasons. Maybe already things are kind of mind of like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Like, there's so many reasons not to do it. I can do this on my own. I, can, I just need to do better. I need to have better systems in my life for health. It's, it's, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as this person, right? Not quite there at repentance. I want to try a few more things, right? And that's okay. We're on this journey together. But at the end of the day, like true repentance means denying yourself. It means turning away from yourself to Jesus. That's why I like the word turn. It's literally, it's an action. You literally turn from yourself And it's the last thing our flesh wants. Our flesh wants to be satisfied with whatever we want in life. But if you turn to our good God, and if you're ready today, if you want to be uh, like the good soil in that you're hearing the word, you're accepting it, and you're bearing fruit, I want to leave us today with the comfort of the prophet Isaiah. As he long ago was a speaker for God, talking to the people at the time, reminding them of the coming Messiah and what the character of God is, and the kind of God that if we turn to, this is what we are receiving. Let me leave you with this. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, those who want to do it on their own. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that is the God. If we turn to him, we repent turn from ourselves, turn to him. That is the God we are going to. That should be encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me, and we get to respond in that. You know how we do it here. We love to sing. We sing praises to our God. We love to pray together on your own. Just lift up your praises to God, requests to God, right? God, Jesus talks so much about the, the, the reign of money and power over our lives and how it's mine. I'm going to hold on to it. I worked hard for it, and that's beautiful, but he also loves cheerfulness and generosity, and we want to bless our community, right? So if giving is a way you want to act in worship, that's beautiful, right? 
But most, I think most importantly, we get to receive communion. We get to go to the table and just remember that it, out of this repentance, denying ourselves, turning to Jesus, he gets to radically change us because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Because of what he did on the cross. And that's what we get to do. When we take that bread and that juice, reminding us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he says, hey, you're not going to get this right now, but someday my people, my church, will remember this. And we'll, remind, we'll just continue to remind each other of this, that this is like my body. Just remember, it was broken for you. It was broken for you. And this, and this juice or wine or whatever it is, we have juice, um, is going to be, <laughs> is, uh, is my blood spilled for you that's going to wash you clean if you would turn from yourself, if you would repent and follow me. And that's our prayer for Hub City today. Let me pray for you and let's go and respond to our good God.